Thank you, um, John, for the um, that, um, music that you played on the piano in my life would be Floyd Fry, because uh, in the life of Anna, we do indeed see how her life glorifies God. <coughs> so Anna, um, as someone who just said to me, is a really difficult character, because there, there's not a great deal in scripture about Anna, apart from these uh, three verses, that is the sum total of uh, um, scripture um, on Anna. But has I looked uh, broader than just these three verses, there is so much um, about Anna and her life which can speak to our own lives and our own situations. So in Luke, we find more about Jesus' childhood and family life than we do in the other Gospels. Each of the Gospel writers emphasised a different aspect of the person of Jesus. Matthew emphasises the kingdom of God, but Jesus has the royal king. Mark reveals Jesus as the suffering servant of God. John focuses on <coughs> Jesus as the holy son of God. And, uh, but for Luke, he presents more of the humanity of Jesus. <coughs> and so in this story of Jesus' presentation at the temple, we see a devout family observing the customs required under the law of Moses. And so 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph must go to the temple to be purified and the child to be presented and a sacrificial offering made. Now some principal, principal facts around, the, um, around Anna. Um, and, and I'll be um, talking a little bit more about some of those um, Here is Anna. Um, this is a, an artist's um, depiction of her. Um, and so earlier in Mark's uh, Gospel, we read a whole uh, variety of witness accounts to Jesus' kingship. Angels, shepherds, the wise men. Now the prophet Simeon and prophetess Anna add their testimony. Both have we as we have heard, have waited patiently for many years for God to fulfil his promise to them that they would see the Lord's Messiah. Now, I, I don't know um, if you've ever given much thought about the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and maybe you have this idea that, this te that the temple in Jerusalem will be a very sacred, a very quiet place, a very hushed um, place. But the reality was, of course, is that it was a, um, a place that was always crowded, it was noisy, a lot of activity day and, and night. Um, as the priests um, took sacrifices, as pilgrims came and worshipped. And so it was a very noisy um, and hectic place. It wasn't a place of stillness and quiet. But in the business of the temple, 
religion was being manufactured, which the priests thought that God would be suitably impressed with. But of course, the reality was is that they were, um, they were not understanding the true heart of God. God wasn't interested in sacrifices, in terms of animal sacrifices. But the temple manufactured this um, and encouraged this. But then bring into this scene of, of um, chaos and um, the infant Jesus, and there's a new dynamic to the ritual surrounding his presence and presentation at the temple and to the world. And the words of Simeon reminds us of the generosity of God and that Jesus is a light to both Jew and Gentile and a light to those who religion had rejected to bring them back to God. And so in this uh, story we see something of the temple becoming obsolete. And into this scene also we meet Anna who maybe for 60 years has faithfully prayed, fasted and watched for that moment when she can articulate the presence of the, of the child who is God and speak of the one who would bring redemption to Israel and to all creation. While, whilst the priests are offering animal sacrifices, Anna offers the only sacrifice God requires. The sacrifice of her life and her heart. She, not the priests, understands what God really wants. And it is remarkable that within the noise and the clamour of the temple and the smell of sacrifices, Anna has to interrupt religion itself to be heard. She finds space to remember God and to recognise God when he is there in her presence. The challenge for us is, are there times when we too need to interrupt religion in order to hear and sense God's presence? So often as churches we get caught up in all the practical stuff of religion. And whilst uh, some of that is good and it's right, sometimes there's a danger that we, uh, we overlook the presence of God. So Anna is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Hannah, which means grace. And Hannah reminds us of the other Hannah in the Bible, Hannah in 1 Samuel, whose life was characterised by prayer and fasting, as was the Anna we are talking about today. Anna is identified in scripture as being the daughter of her and of the tribe of Asher. Now, my son we called Asher um, because um, in, in reading this scripture and other Old Testament scriptures, it, it was a name that we liked. And so it's the first time I've ever preached on uh, um, Asher. So, so Anna, from the tribe of Asher. Faniel, father, is not mentioned, again, in any other scriptures. But it's interesting because the name Faniel brings to mind the place Peniel, where Jacob wrestled with God, which you read about in Genesis 22. And Faniel suggests a people wrestling with God 
Luke presents Anna as a faithful uh, person waiting and longing for her people's redemption. More directly, the name Faneuil means face of God. And in her earthly father, Anna has seen the face of God. Now in the temple, she sees in the face of Jesus, the face of her heavenly father. Luke goes on to name her father and tribe, making her one of the few New Testament, New Testament characters whose tribes are named. Others include Jesus of the house of David and the tribe of Judah, Saul of the tribe of her Benjamin. So Asher was one of Jacob's sons, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. Asher, meaning blessed, was one of the ten lost tribes of Israel that formed the northern kingdom that was taken captive by Assyria in 772 BC, but remained faithful to God. And though the tribe never returned to Israel, we read that Anna was found in the temple of Jerusalem, so we can infer that someone moved their family there, or she was married to someone in Jerusalem. Luke mentions all this, uh, this detail about Anna's heritage as a reminder that her, her heritage owed, owed much to God's grace. She was part of the believing her remnant from the northern kingdom and a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Anna is, is the only named female prophetess within the New Testament she was called a prophetess, not because she predicted the future, but rather because God used her to speak his truth. As a prophet, Anna would have been centred upon the Old Testament scriptures, and they would have fueled her hopes in the future redemption of Jerusalem. And if she was married at around 14 years old, which would have come an age for women to marry in those days, and was married for only six or seven years, Years Anna would have been maybe just 21 years old when um, her husband passed away. Luke doesn't mention anything about children. The text reads that uh, she remains on her own until she was 84 years old. Now, some interpret the text to mean that she was alone for 84 years, which, which would mean she would be around 105 years when she met the family of Jesus. Either way, she had spent the vast majority of her life alone and ministering in the temple. It is possible that, that Anna lived within the, the, the temple complex or she simply spent the vast majority of her time at the temple. It would have been expected that, that Anna would have, have remarried being so young, but she remained single and lived out her life in the temple and devoted herself to prayer. Anna's prayer life was priority because she recognised the need within her. She had no one else but God, and so she looked to no one else but God. God was enough. God was the centre of, of Anna's world. And so spending time with God was something that she delighted to do, which enabled her to be sure she would be in, in on what God was doing. And so when she comes into the temple on that day, 
on the day Jesus is brought by his parents, she sees what others could not. Amidst a throng of people that day, she was led by God's familiar, still small voice to approach the young couple, Mary and Joseph, praising God and telling others about the child to all who were seeking the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was burdened about the coming um, Messiah. She understood from the Old Testament that the day of judgment was coming when the Messiah would deal with Israel's sin and her, and her prayer and her fasting was evidence of her mourning for the sins of Israel and her burden for herself and others. The word that we read in verse eight, uh, 38 for redemption means to be bought out of the marketplace, never to be sold again, and it's found throughout scripture. It's primarily used to describe the act of freeing a slave. In our Friday Bible study, we have started to look at the small book of Philemon, and that story is very much about uh, a slave um, and uh, being encouraged to return to his owner. And in the early days of the church, there would have been millions of slaves within the Roman Empire. So about two-thirds of the population would have understood this word, this word when it was first heard. People were taken to a slave market and auctioned off in the marketplace. And most of them spent their whole lives as slaves. But Anna's life of prayer and fasting, studying of the scriptures, enabled her to see that the people redeemed by the Messiah would be brought out of slavery to sin and never to be sold into it again. They would be free indeed. Do you and I have a close relationship with God, matured through prayer and Bible study, that we are able to see him at work and join him in it? Or is our spiritual sight so poor that we are unable to see the joy of making an eternal difference in this world? Do we have a close relationship with God where we are able to see him at work do we see the need around us in our communities and wider world? Does it drive us to our knees, crying out to God? Anna asked God to act and expected God to act. And so when he did, she recognised his working and wanted to be a part of what he was doing. Anna was persistent in prayer because she knew the answer to her needs and the needs of those around her was with God. So it was to God that she went in prayer, fully believing that he would answer. Knowing God was calling her to prayer and directed by the Holy Spirit, Anna knew God would answer and that assurance motivated her to persist. Anna knew too that her prayers for the repentance and restoration of Israel were consistent with God's word and therefore knowing her prayers were based on the revelation of scripture. She persisted in prayer believing God would hear and answer. Can I suggest then this morning that this is the confidence we need to have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. 
read also that after speaking to Mary and Joseph, Anna taught. The verb for taught denotes a continuous action. So from that day forward, Anna talked non-stop about what she had seen. Anna showed a holy boldness in stepping out of her comfort zone by faith to share the great news of eternal life with those who needed to hear it. Do you and I have a, ho- a holy boldness to step out in faith and refuse to be intimidated by darkness? Besides the testimony of Mary and Joseph, Simeon or Anna and many other, other of the witnesses that we read about in Luke, there's a greater testimony found in verse 40. We read how the child, the Christ child, continued to grow in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. His father's father was on him and who said of him at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so in the limitations of life in the temple, Anna remained present in seeking and discerning not only the presence of God but also the purposes of God. For years she had watched and waited for the presence of God to be revealed in the Christ child. Will you and I take time to discern the purposes of God and reflect in our thoughts and deeds our love of him who is revealed in our own lives as God? As we spend some moments in reflection Three questions I would like to put to you this morning for your thoughts. How is your spiritual eyesight? Can you see where God is working and, and, willing, and are you willing to join him in it? Have we a holy boldness to share the good news with others? And those two things can only happen if we have such a close relationship with God that we can see where he is moving, where he is working. So, how is your spiritual sight this morning? Are you able to see where God is working and are you willing to join him in that? Have you a a holy boldness to to share the good news with others? And do we have such a close relationship with God that we can see where he is moving and are willing to join him in that? So we're going to spend some time in reflection, seeing um, a beautiful chorus, which allows us, like Anna, to cry out to God, to acknowledge that we are desperate for him in our lives. And this morning, wherever we are in our relationship with God, I hope that we can say that we are desperate for him, that he is our very breath. And if that isn't the case, friends, then can I encourage you to make that right with God today, to have that close relationship with God, so that we can discern his purposes and his plans for our lives in these days. Thank you.